Welcome to In Parallel, an offshoot of the OnScript podcast, in which we explore the connections between biblical and contemporary poetry. I'm your host, Brent Strawn. I'm a biblical scholar and theologian. I teach at Duke University, where I am professor of Old Testament and professor of law. The essence of metaphor is comparison, the likening of one thing to another, even if only by rough juxtaposition. A dog porpoising in the snow like a dolphin in the waves, to borrow an image from Billy Collins, or one's beloved being a seal stamped upon the heart in Song of Songs, chapter 8. Metaphor, in turn, has sometimes been called the essence of poetry, the comparison of everything in the world to everything else in the world, to borrow again from Billy Collins, with poetic comparisons, predicated, of course, on the closest and most exacting attention. This is like that, is what metaphors say, what poetry says, though poetry says it with dense, spare, arresting language, with rhythm, image, style, and so forth. Metaphor, comparison, and juxtaposition are very much at work in this episode, which focuses on what I am calling a couple three poems about the body, love, land, and secrecy. My wife's grandmother, Ellen Verner, had a saying, Wuhaya. Wuhaya could be used for any number of surprising or unexpected situations, but its preeminent use was for things of a, well, delicate sort, erotic, at least potentially, if not downright and fully sexual. When these things popped up in conversation, the appropriate response was, Wuhaya. The biblical book known as the Song of Songs, or Song of Solomon, is a collection of love poetry between a man and a woman that has more than its fair share of wuhaya moments. Three or four times, for example, the man celebrates the body of the woman in the book. Here are selections from two of the poems in chapters 4 and 7, according to the Common English Bible. Look at you. So beautiful, my dearest. Look at you. So beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind the veil of your hair. Your hair is like a flock of goats as they stream down Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like newly shorn ewes as they come up from the washing pool. All of them perfectly match. Not one of them lacks its twin. Like a crimson ribbon are your lips. When you smile, it's lovely. Like a slice of pomegranate is the curve of your face behind the veil of your hair. Like David's tower is your neck, splendidly built. You are utterly beautiful, my dearest. There's not a single flaw in you. How graceful are your sandal feet, the smooth curves of your thighs, like fine jewelry, the work of an artist's hands. Your navel, cupped like the full moon. Your belly is a mound of winnowed wheat edged with lilies. Your two breasts are like twin fawns, twins of a gazeldo. Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel, and your hair braided in royal purple. A king is bound by the tresses. You are so beautiful. So lovely, my love, delightful one. Your stately form resembles a date palm, and your breasts are like clustered fruit. I say, I will climb the palm tree. I will hold its fruit. 
Well, what can you say after that? But woo, I am blushing over here. That last bit in particular has led many a middle school boy across the universe to affirm quite solemnly, this is the word of the Lord. Now, lest one think this kind of poetry is solely a man's world, we should take note that the woman in the Song of Songs utters similar sentiments. She, too, celebrates the man's body. Again, from the Common English Bible, chapter 5 this time. My lover is radiant and ruddy. He stands out among 10,000. His head is fine as gold, his wavy hair black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by channels of water. They are bathing in milk, sitting by brimming pools. His cheeks are like fragrant plantings, towers of spices. His lips are lilies, dripping liquid myrrh. His arms are gold cylinders studded with jewels. His belly is smooth ivory encrusted with sapphires. His thighs are pillars of whitest stone set on pedestals of gold. His appearance like Lebanon, stately like the cedars. His mouth is everything sweet, every bit of him desirable. Well, again, what can you say, but ooh Grandma Werner knew what she was talking about, evidently. These love poems about the beloved's bodies are full of metaphor, though we have to admit that the significance of some of the things to which the bodies are likened is often lost on us. Even if we can imagine a structure called David's Tower, it may not strike us as the best of pickup lines. Hey, baby, your neck is like a skyscraper. You don't say. Yes, I do say. Oh, how sweet. In fact, visualizing some of these metaphors woodenly, in a prosaic, unimaginative way, produces not a beautiful image of the beloved at all, but a monstrosity. The essence of metaphors is comparison, no doubt, and in these poems it is painfully clear that metaphors are very much contextually conditioned comparisons. That helps to explain a skyscraper-like neck, perhaps, or cheeks like spice towers in the Song of Songs, but it also helps to explain why so many of the metaphors in the Song of Songs compare the lovers to elements drawn from the natural environment, from their land. Her hair is not just like a flock of streaming goats, after all, but a flock that streams down from Mount Gilead. His appearance isn't just like a cedar, but like Lebanon, a region famous for its cedars. And then there is the flora, the curve of her face, a slice of pomegranate, his lips, lilies, dripping myrrh. And don't forget the fauna, both of their eyes, ah doves. For some time now, I've wondered about these metaphors in the Song of Songs. I've come to see, of course, how so many of them are historically conditioned, rooted in time and space, even though some seem to transcend those conditions and roots seem to be timeless. I've also come to see, thanks in part to the work of Elaine James, how the landscape metaphors used for the lovers' bodies also charge the natural world with eros. Love is in the air, we say, and also in the land, the Song of Songs quickly averse. The landform metaphors do yet still more. Cumulatively, they suggest that the lovers, especially the woman, are themselves the land, the land of Israel. 
From here, it is a short step to begin thinking, as the rabbis did, about the Song of Songs as an allegory about God's love for God's people living on God's beloved land. There's still more to say, as is so often the case with metaphors. Metaphors open up a comparative relationship between things, suggesting a likeness between them, but metaphors also retain a difference amidst the likeness. Metaphors are not equivalences, not markers of identity or identicality, at least not fully. Instead, metaphors remain comparative, markers of similarity, but also of similarity's limits. In the words of the late Terry Fredheim, Metaphors traffic in isness, likeness or similarity, but also instantiate is notness, difference, dissimilarity. The lover's eyes are ah doves in some way, but of course they aren't really or actually doves. Metaphors conceal, it would seem, as much as they reveal. Said differently, something remains secret about the things compared in a metaphor. This may be the greatest gift of metaphor, at least in the Wuhaya-filled landscape of the Song of Songs. Yes, these poems celebrate love and the body and the land, but they also do so with a great deal of discretion. Something is most certainly going on down in that garden between the man and woman, but we don't know exactly what it is. I mean, Marvin Gaye and Barry White are certainly on the radio, but other than that, we don't know for sure. We can guess, of course. We can imagine. Woo, hiya. But we are not shown or told in full detail with all the lights on, as it were, with a TV mature audience's only warning in the corner of the screen. What the lovers do remains their secret, with the garden in the Song of Songs very much a secret garden. The metaphors suggest and evoke, gesture and allude, but they do not show all, neither do they tell all. There is discretion here, secrecy. And that is how it should be with love and the body, at least according to how the Song of Songs presents things. Now, I, for one, think that things aren't all innuendo in the Song of Songs. In a couple of places in the book, there seem to be clear indications of, well, <laughs> crescendo, to borrow from my favorite jazz singer, Michael Frank's song, Innuendo. But even at these points, the crescendo, wuhaya moment is of a decidedly metaphorical, highly innuendo-ish sort, which is to say it remains secret, discreet. One of my favorite poets, Sharon Olds, has written her own poem about love, the body, and land. One replete with metaphors that reveal, but also conceal, that contain innuendo, but also crescendo. The poem, Topography, may serve as something of a contemporary comparison to the Song of Songs, a modern metaphor, if you will, comparing this thing to that thing, which is, after all, the essence of poetry. Here's the poem. After we flew across the country, we got in bed, 
laid our bodies delicately together, like maps laid face to face, east to west. My San Francisco against your New York, your Fire Island against my Sonoma, my New Orleans deep in your Texas, your Idaho bright on my Great Lakes, my Kansas, burning against your Kansas, your Kansas burning against my Kansas, your Eastern Standard Time pressing into my Pacific Time, my Mountain Time beating against your Central Time, your sun rising swiftly from the right, my sun rising swiftly from the left, your moon rising slowly from the left, my moon rising slowly from the right until all four bodies of the sky burn above us, sealing us together, all our cities twin cities, all our states united, one nation indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Well, again, what can you possibly say after a poem like that? But woo, hiya, shades of the Song of Songs, and in more than one way. Old's concluding lines that connect her geographical metaphors for love to the notions of liberty and justice evoke a connection between beauty and justice that is also found in the Song of Songs. That, however, is another topic. That is a poem for another time. Thanks for listening. See you next time. The poem Topography was from Sharon Old's 2012 book, The Gold Cell, published by Alfred J. Knopf, and was used by permission of the author.